0: On October 6, 1967, Duke University PA program graduated the first physician assistants. Today, there are over 79,000 physician assistants with over 40 years of PA history. The important job of documenting and preserving this history is done by the PA History Center and Society for the Preservation of Physician Assistant History. You're listening to Reach mdxm 160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, your host, and with me today is Dr. Reginald Carter, physician assistant and founder of the PA History Center and Society for the Preservation of Physician Assistant History, and Layla Ledbetter, director and archivist of the PA History Center. Today we are discussing the documentation and preservation of the PA profession. Hi Reg and Layla, welcome to ReachMD. Thank
1: you for having us.
0: So, Reg, what was the motivation to establish a society and center dedicated to the history and legacy of the physician assistant profession?
1: Well, in 2000, the first program that originated the PA profession was celebrating its 35th anniversary, and we began to realize that not much had been done nationally to make sure that our professional history had been preserved. Of the five physicians who had been instrumental in establishing the the physician-type assistant type programs. Only two of them uh, remained alive at that time. In addition, many of the nurses and some of the first PA graduates who had played pivotal roles in establishing other PA programs throughout the nation, who had also been instrumental in helping enact legislation for PAs, these individuals were retiring out of the profession and we felt that if we did not capture their collective memories and their struggles to promote the concept and benefits of healthcare care team practices, that we were going to lose that history and, and that collective memory. And we needed to act very quickly and boldly to make sure we pre- were preserving that history.
0: And what was your plan to acquire the historical information?
1: Well, the first thing we wanted to make sure was that we knew where the primary source material was. And this would be like personal papers or minutes of organizational meetings, reports, journals, dissertations, marketing materials, other things such as oral histories, films, photographs, and artifacts. We wanted to make sure these materials, we knew where they were, we could catalog those and preserve those for uh, health professional researchers. We had a medical sociologist at Duke by the name of Eugene Sneller, and he felt that the introduction of physician assistants and later nurse practitioners into the American healthcare care system was going to be viewed eventually as one of the major innovation changes to occur in American medicine in the 20th century. And really to place the innovation in context and accurately tell the story about the emergence of the profession, it was vital that these researchers would have access to primary source material. And then finally, we wanted to make sure that future generations of PAs understood their professional heritage. As they developed their own professional identity, we really wanted them to understand the roots of the profession, those that had contributed to that, so that they could work in harmony with physicians and nurses and other allied health professions and their practice.
0: So let's discuss the beginning of the History Center. How did you go about securing the support and the resources that you needed to carry out the society and the center's mission?
1: Well, the first step we took, we established an office for the preservation of PA history at Duke University. This was to provide a, a base of operations so that we could develop a national strategy for preserving, studying and presenting our unique history as a profession. I relinquished my role as the Chief of the Division of PA Education so that I could devote at least 50% of my time to this project. I wrote an article that appeared in the PAE Journal, that's the Physician Assistant Education Association's journal, talking about the need for such an office, outlining some of the goals and objectives for an office, and mentioning how much money it was going to take to begin this process. And as I recall, it was somewhere around $650,000 at that time. The other thing is we went out and we began talking to the leaders of the various PA organizations, such as the American Academy of Physician Assistants, the National Commission that certifies physician assistants, at that time called the Association of PA Programs and talking about the need for the office and what we were about, and had them contribute money. The American Academy was one of our largest contributors, but we also had individuals who contributed money. For example, Dr. Stead, who began the program at Duke, he and his wife contributed $50,000 to help us get started. We also had in-kind support from Duke University, especially the library and the archives from our own department, and then individuals stepped up and began donating, and eventually we also had state chapters of the American Academy of PAs join and help us with the funding.
0: Well, whenever you read about the center, it's very clear that you were a critical part of it. Reg, what was your role in the society?
1: Well, I basically was the Society's first Executive Director, and this was prior to the Society becoming a sponsoring organization of the American Academy of Physician Assistants. This occurred in 2008. So I was the Executive Director for those early years. In addition to my role as the Executive Director of the Society, I also took on the role as the Society's Historian. And that was to really help coordinate our research mission. And also I was involved in helping grow the collection, trying to contact individuals and programs and different state organizations just to find out what kind of historical records they had kept. And I remained as the Society's historian until last year when I retired and stepped down and I now have the role of historian emeritus, and that's basically an advisory role. Kevin Bays is the society's current executive director, and Kevin is located in the academy offices in Alexandria, Virginia.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MDXM 160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and I'm speaking with Dr. Reginald Carter, physician assistant and founder of the PA History Center and Society for the Preservation of Physician Assistant History, and Layla Ledbetter, director and archivist of the PA History Center. We're discussing the documentation and preservation of the PA profession. Let's switch over to Layla for a minute. One of the missions of the Society and the Center is to preserve the PA profession's history. And Layla, how do you do that?
2: Well, it's really interesting, actually, when a person or an organization donates their materials to us, we're very careful to go through and see what exactly they've given us. It could be photographs. It could be notebooks. It could be clippings. It could be videos. We go through very carefully, and we organize them and decide what needs to be done to preserve them, and they're generally really unique and personalized items. And so we don't catalog them the same way you would in a library book. We make what's called a finding aid, which is basically just a descriptive list of those items, but it also includes background information about the person who donated those items so that researchers can get a context for why that information might be important. And then we decide what we need to do to preserve the items physically. We transfer them to acid free boxes and folders. We remove Stables and paper clips, anything we can to make sure that it lives as long as it can without getting damaged, just being stored. And then we store it actually in an environmentally controlled location where it's perfect humidity and perfect temperature and is actually locked down so it's secure from someone being able to come in and take things out that they would like to take home with them. So that's one of the things we do. In really extreme cases, there's already damage done to the items, so it could be dirt or water or mold, and we have those specially treated by professional preservation organizations. Recently, we had an experience where an organization wanted us to take their items for them. It was the entire history of their organization since the beginning, and and we thought that that was really important to us to help with. And they took us to their boxes, and they were actually stored in a, just a basic you-store-it facility. And they were starting to get a little moldy and starting to warp, and, mugs and bugs and mice were able to get to it. So we scooped those up and brought them back to the archives and managed to save them all, which we were really glad. And we were, we were thankful to do that. So that's kind of what we do
0: here. Layla, you've been through the archives, and you've seen many films and pictures and books. Any favorites?
2: Oh, gosh. One that pops to mind is a video that we actually have on our website, pax.org, and it is about Joyce Nichols. We stream it on the website about her early days doing rural health care. She goes out and, and helps people. I think this is back in the early 70s. And it's just really interesting to see her and see the people she's interacting with in rural North Carolina. I think that's one of my favorites. But I have a lot. I love the oral histories. I love to listen to the people who made history speak in their own voices. So those are some of my favorites.
0: And I agree. Those were the ones that I enjoyed the most was hearing the actual voices. And if someone wants to listen to this, how do you present all this information to the public? And how do, how do they get there?
2: We have a list of people that we have oral histories for on our website. However, we still don't have everything streaming on the website, although that is one of our future projects we'd like to do. Right now, go to our website, see who we have available, and you can just call me directly. Um, My contact information is on the website, and I can make a copy of the interview or a video and send it to the person. Or if they're interested in just reading it, I can send them a copy of the transcript which we do for all our interviews.
0: And do you publish any articles in any journals or any of the information available elsewhere?
1: We have published a number of articles in both uh, PA literature and medical literature. For example, the Journal of Physician Assistant Education, this is done by the association. They have a feature section on the history, and we've had a number of articles appear in there. Advance for Physician Assistance ran a two-year series of brief articles. Basically, around an illustration, we'd have a photograph of an item, a pen, or photographs of individuals, and then we would build a story around that to talk about some important event or policy that, that had been enacted among the PAs. So, again, we do publish a, a good bit.
0: And Reg, do you have any favorites in the collection?
1: Yeah, I guess one of my favorites are the original ink pen drawings by Dick Moores of Gasoline Alley in that Chipper Wallet, one of the characters who is a veteran of Vietnam. He actually was an ex corpsman in the Coast Guard in Vietnam. And he comes back home, and this is, again, right in the early 70s, and he decides to become a physician's assistant. And the cartoon character actually goes through a PA program and becomes a practicing PAs. And this was one of the first introductions of the public to the idea and the concept of a PA.
0: So let's talk about visiting the center. Do you get a lot of students that come and visit the center? And if students wanted to come, how would they get there and what would they see?
2: We are located at the North Carolina Academy of PAs in Durham, North Carolina. We have a very nice building here. The Academy has provided us a room in. And we do have classes of students who come in either with their professors to get a tour or um, sometimes they will swing by, either calling me and asking for a tour or just dropping in. We are open from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. But I can be here on the weekend if somebody needs me to be. So, yes, they come in and we, we give them the tour. There's a lot of things for them to
0: see. So what can the PA profession do to continue the great work that you guys are doing at the History Center. How can PAs get involved? How can students get involved? How can everyone get involved?
2: Oh gosh, how can they get involved? Well, one of the things I would encourage people to do is go out and look at the AAPA's website and click on the History Center link, and that gives more information about how to donate money, which we always need, or they can contribute their time or research or items if they want to donate their papers or memorabilia like pins or patches or we always need photographs. So if they go there, they can see how they can donate. That's one way. And they can find out more via our Facebook page. So they just go out to Facebook and look up the Physician Assistant History Center that we keep them up to date, to keep people up to date on, on what happens at the center.
0: Thank you, Reg, and thank you, Layla, for coming on the show.
1: Always our pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And thanks for listening.